People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Hello, hello, and thank you for joining us today. There's no place like home. Yep, we've heard that before. We are talking about the affordable housing crisis and what California is doing about it. Before I start, please take down this number because we will have our question of the day coming up. You can text us at 760-699-0202. That's 760-699-0202. And if you text us your name, well, we'll give you a shout out here. I'm going to jump right in and share some facts with you about the housing crisis nationally and right here in California. Nationally, there is a shortage of seven, more than 7 million affordable homes for our nation's 10.8 million plus extremely low-income families. There is no state or county in the entire country where a renter working full-time at minimum wage can afford a two-bedroom apartment. 70% of all extremely low-income fa- low families are severely cost-burdened, paying more than half their income on rent. So 6.8 million more affordable housing units are needed for the extremely low-income families, and 580,000 people are experiencing homelessness on any given night. 70% of all extremely low-income families, as I mentioned, pay more than half their income on rent, and one in four extremely low-income families who need need assistance do not receive it. Now, we know that housing is a key to reducing intergenerational poverty and increasing economic mobility. Increasing the access to affordable housing bolsters the economic growth. If you've taken down our text number, 760-699-0202, get ready for today's question. And that question is, what does the term NIMBY mean? What do the letters stand for? Here in California, Governor Newsom signed some big housing bills, including a measure that allows more than one house to be built on the single-family lots. And when we look at California's housing crisis, I think Cal Matters, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, non nonpartisan journalism organization dedicated to explaining how California's state capital works and why it matters, has it right. They break the housing crisis into three parts. They identify the 150,000 homeless Californians as the first and most urgent crisis, and that is complicated by PTSD, mental health issues, and addiction. The 7.1 million Californians Californians living in poverty but are not homeless 56% of them are seeing more than half their paychecks going to rising rents, and this makes up part two of the crisis. This mostly black and brown part of our population is dealing with gentrification and displacement and find themselves living in overcrowded and unsafe conditions. About 23 million low-income renters pay more than half of their income for housing, partly due to this gap between rental costs and income. We have to go back to the 1960s when the average California home 
today cost three times the average of the household's income to understand the third housing crisis. It costs more than seven times what the average household makes. Younger generations of both middle class and higher income Californians are faced with high rents and that makes saving for a down payment to own a home harder, if not impossible. To an extent, supply and demand is part of the issue, but greater than that is the economic issue of being paid too little for the work that's being done. Pew Research tells us that after adjusting for inflation, today's average hourly wage has just about the same purchasing power as it did in 1978. But goods and services, along with home ownership and rental costs, continue to rise. We could have an entire show on this issue alone. Maybe we call it What the H Happened to the Economy. But today we're going to have a guest who's quite familiar with running budgets and the economy itself, and that would be our own California State Treasurer, Fiona Ma. How are you today? I'm doing good, Joy. How are you? I'm doing really well. I want to thank you for being here today and taking time out of your, I'm sure, very busy schedule. (laughs) It's always busy, every day. That's right. Well, our topic today is There's No Place Like Home, but I'd like the listeners to get to know you a bit better. Uh, If you don't mind that, we know that being a treasurer is a big job and being the accountable party when it comes to money and finance is a heavy responsibility. What made you want to take this job on? Well, first off, I never thought I was going to be in politics (laughs) growing up. Uh, I am an accountant, a CPA by training, a real estate tax accountant. And I worked for a big eight accounting firm uh, to start. And I stayed five years and decided to leave because there were no women or people of color in leadership positions. And I decided to start my own practice at the age of 28 years old. And someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, Miss Ma, if you want to get clients quickly, you should be president of this small business association. It's a nonprofit 501c3. We're not going to pay you. And it won't be that much work because we'll mentor you. Well, uh-huh. you know, all sorts of nonprofits are a lot of work, especially when you're president. And that was the first time I had to go down to San Francisco City Hall, lobby the mayor and the board of supervisors, go to Sacramento to testify on bills, uh, got involved in the White House Conference on Small Business in 1995, and it opened my eyes to politics. Well, you became uh, parents, a public servant. Yeah, well, my parents are born in China. And they don't run for office in China. So growing up, my parents never encouraged me to run for student body or get involved in, you know, politics. And then I started to realize that we need representation, right? Uh, Small businesses, backbone of our economy, yet it is so hard to run a small business and there's not many advocates. I know now why, because (laughs) we don't have a lot of extra money to hire lobbyists. We don't have time to go and sit in, you know, City Hall or Sacramento or D.C. to sit and wait to testify before committees. And that's what happens in politics. If you're not there representing at the table, uh, then other people are going to make those decisions. They're going to decide where money is going to be allocated. And so that's how I started getting involved slowly, slowly. Uh, I got um, appointed to the Assessment Appeals Board to hear property tax cases, and I think that's a great 
uh, place for anyone who is thinking about getting more involved in your local community or running for office is to start with an appointed commission position. And then as you're learning about Robert's Rules of Order yeah. and Sunshine and all that, then you start looking around at the elected officials and your confidence builds up. That's what happened to me. And I said, I think I could do a better job than these people. Right. So, all right. I can slowly, under- slowly. I can understand yep. that. Do, let me ask you this. Do, do you see uh, or has being a woman or a woman of color created challenges for you or been helpful in your pursuits? Stay with us. And we will continue this conversation with California's 34th State Treasurer, Fiona Ma. She's fierce. She's bold. She's outspoken. Here's Radio 111's proud progressive, Joy Silver. This is Outspoken, and we are talking to State Treasurer Fiona Ma today, and our topic is There's No Place Like Home, the Affordable Housing Crisis, and What California is Doing About It. Uh, So before we left our conversation, I had asked you a question, um, and I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about being a woman and a woman of color. Has that created challenges, or has it been helpful in your career pursuits? I, I think there's, it's been challenging for sure, um, even as state treasurer, right, of the fifth largest economy. I have a lot of meeting with bankers, uh, many who have been in the business many, many more years than I have, um, and sometimes they talk down to me, or they think I'm not very smart, or I don't get things, um, so, you know, I just have to wait and listen and you know and then I regurgitate it back to them and they're like oh you actually do know more than we thought you knew so Mm -hmm. I think people underestimate me a lot uh, in my career uh, Mm -hmm. in politics but that's okay I use it to my advantage you know I don't need to be the smartest person in the room uh, but sometimes it is a little bit um, demeaning when people don't think that I'm you know, as smart as I am or as, as you know, qualified or understand uh, what's going on in life. Wow. I think I've heard that story from many women in positions of uh, decision-making and, and uh, responsibility and accountability, that's for sure. I want to jump a little bit into the affordable housing conversation with you because you are a major part of the affordable housing in California. And what can you tell us a little bit about what your role is in that um, in that subject? Yes, yeah, so we have four agencies here in California that uh, do different things for affordable housing. I chair TCAC and SIDLAC, which is the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee, and we distribute the 9 and the 4% tax credits 
that come from the federal government. Um, and I also chair SIDLAC, the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee, which oversees the bonds, uh, the private activity tax-exempt bonds that goes for housing as well as other type of projects like uh, public transportation, high-speed rail, garbage, recycling, uh, anyone who wants to issue these bonds to the private sector to fund uh, public uh, infrastructure, large infrastructure um, projects. So those are the two that I oversee. Then the governor oversees the California Housing and Community Development Agency, which is really the policy uh, arm of housing. Um, when legislators propose legislation, the governor signs it, the funding usually goes to HCD uh, for you know, regulation, uh, creating the regulations, and then figuring out how to distribute the money to stakeholders. And then the fourth one is the California Housing Financing Agency. Mm. Uh, and that really deals with more kind of uh, multifamily, uh, middle income uh, type of projects. Um, so that's the four of us, and we work collaboratively because we're sitting on all the committees together, um, and I chair the, the two financing committees, the tax credits and the bonds. So we have been very, very busy. I combined the two agencies uh, early on because I got feedback that the right hand wasn't talking to the left hand, and it created a lot of uh, confusion, uh, duplicity, uh, red tape, and so, you know, I combined the two. I went on a 20-city housing tour initially just to hear from different parts of the state because we know that the state is not equal. Uh, and then I have been really working to streamline our application process. So we have a one-stop application process yep. now, and we have streamlined the definitions and the application dates so that it is easier for developers to, um, you know, to apply. And I think most importantly, I created a 30-person working stakeholder group, hmm. advisory group. And these people are people like you and others who do this every single day. And I really look to this group to give us feedback on what changes need to be made uh, how our competition uh, system should be done, our tiebreaker, um, and any other barriers that they face that we could potentially help out with to make their job easier so that they can continue to produce as many housing units as possible. Well, that's a, that's a very uh, important aspect of what you've created there because you're actually talking to the people who do it every day to kind of give feedback as to how we can do this more efficiently because this is one of the greatest challenges of our time, I think. Um, now, we do want to hear what California is doing. And do you have a vision for affordable housing in California? Do I have a vision? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, we have been working to streamline all four agencies. Uh, hopefully, HCD in the spring of next year is going to come out with a system that will align their six major funding sources so that you can go there and you will know and get a letter and then come back to the bond and tax credit so that you can apply all at the same time instead of waiting years and years to put all these puzzle pieces together. Thank you so much, State Treasurer Fiona Ma, and we'll be seeing you soon.
Thank you, Joy. Thank you. Turning back the ugly wave of hate that seeks to divide. Joy Silver is Outspoken on Radio 111. We have our winner. We have our big winner for the question of the day. And that is, what does NIMBY mean? 25 useless points are going to be awarded to our winner today. Thank you, Pilar Amaral. We have our winner. Thanks a lot, Pilar, and for knowing what NIMBY means. Not in my backyard. That's right. We were talking to State Treasurer Fiona Ma on Outspoken here at Radio 111, and our topic is There's No Place Like Home, the affordable housing crisis, and what California is doing about it. And earlier I mentioned that Cal Matters has three parts to the housing crisis, and I do agree with the analysis. One is about homeless Californians, and two, those living in poverty and working, and three, the younger generation facing high rents who are unable to save up for home ownership. Now, all three of these crises are obviously related, and they stem more or less from the same root problem, not enough housing, and the fact that paychecks have flatlined. But it's important not to conflate the issues if we're going to solve this challenge. And while lack of affordable housing is at the core of why our homeless population is homeless, California is the largest in the country, by the way, with the largest homeless population. Mental health and addiction issues also complicate its solutions. I've had many conversations with our next guest, and I think we could talk on these subjects for hours because, well, we have a great passion for these issues. And I'd like to welcome Greg Rodriguez to our show today. He is the Government Affairs and Public Policy Advisor for Riverside County Supervisor Manuel Perez. His areas of focus are health care, housing, and homelessness. Greg is also the chair of the county's Homeless Continuum of Care and chair of the county's Community Health Center's board. Welcome, Greg, and thanks for being part of Outspoken today. Thanks for having me, Joy. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too, and I just have spoken to Fiona Ma, so let's pick up on some of the same ideas, but from a county and city point of view. Tell me first, though, what what was your decision? What influenced your decision to become a public servant? And what are some of the greatest challenges you've had in your career and in those career pursuits? Yeah, and, you know, I, I started political activity literally when I was 13 years old, uh, helping on a campaign at my babysitter's mother for school board. But I really became involved, Joy, uh, in college with student government, um, but when I graduated college and moved to Seattle, um, I became very involved in the HIV movement and primarily around housing and uh, homeless issues with uh, HIV and uh, AIDS patients. Uh, myself being positive over 34 years, was extremely passionate about that. That's probably been one of the biggest challenges in, in my early career with just health aspects. But luckily, um, that 
not a deterrent now. Um, it, you know, that morphed into uh, future political activity, primarily uh, running uh, campaigns. And, you know, I, I stayed at home and raised two children for 13 years. So mm. that was a way for me to get adult time. But also my children were special needs, so dealt with a lot of education policies and just decided to work on uh, special needs issues, continued HIV issues, um, housing issues, uh, and a lot of women's issues in Washington State as well, because like California, they had initiatives that were trying to take away women's rights to choose, that were trying to prevent uh, the acceptance of LGBT candidates. So uh, it's been a long career. Um, I, you know, the last campaign I really worked on full-time was uh, Congressman Louise's campaign, and then became his district director. And so that's when I actually entered into the actual public service aspect. And then, of course, continued on and, and continue to work today with Supervisor Perez. You actually became uh, involved because of uh, challenges and issues that you uh, you had to face in your own life. Is that what I'm hearing? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, I, I at one time was actually situationally homeless. I would you know, never sit here and say that I had experienced years and years on the streets, but really got a taste of what it's like you know your people are sometimes one paycheck away and um you know i i lived out of a storage shelter for about four weeks and slept in the park and slept in a bathhouse and you know i was able to make do um but you that just gave me more sense of really literally anybody can fall into this and then you with that, though, too, is you have a deeper empathy and sympathy for those who have been struggling with these issues for sometimes decades, and especially those, as you mentioned, that have substance use and mental health issues. It's interesting that you talk about that, Greg, because that's something you and I have in common with um, having spent some time myself out on the street, and basically because of my status as a member of the LGBT community, and as a woman out on the streets, well... I did a lot of walking, and particularly walking at night, because it's not too safe out there at night on the streets for women, and certainly young women. And I do, um, I think we've had some parallel experience in that way. And what I like about what you said was, once you've been in the particular situation yourself, and you've mentioned a number of situations, you can see the population that's involved in that kind of in, in that that kind of life cir- circumstance in a way that most people just painted over the large paintbrush, not realizing that there's many many strata to the issue of issues of both housing and homelessness. That's exactly right, and you know people think that homelessness is just those with on a tent or you know in a tent on the street or you know pushing around the shopping cart, and that's a very small number of who's actually homeless, you know, whether it's situationally homeless, whether it's, you know, single mothers that are, you know, bouncing from couch to couch, whether it's single mothers sleeping in their car with children. Um, Again, like you say, it runs the whole stratosphere. And it's, you know, that's really, I think, what's been great about, especially Riverside County, but California as well, is really focusing more on not only the chronic homeless, but how do we, you know, really address the ones that we can help immediately more importantly, Joy, though, is how are we looking at new policies and procedures um, to prevent people from falling into that situation? That's an important, uh, I'd like to underscore what you just said, Greg, because uh, to to prevent more people from falling into homelessness, and that's a whole nother strata of those that are on the edge of becoming homeless, whether it's for a short time situationally or a longer or a longer time. And I think the whole concept of building more housing and building affordable housing is 
in that way, it's prevention. And I don't think we can get it built fast enough to really move forward with that. I mean, we have an effort going on. I know you play a role in the county in affordable housing, and I, I'm hoping you'll talk a little bit to our listeners about what your role in that is. Yeah, and so I, um, as, as you mentioned in the, in the bios, you know, housing is one part of my portfolio, but I'm a very active member, and I know you are too, in the uh, county partnership with uh, Lift to Rise on the uh, Connect Capital campaign, which is all about building 10,000 affordable units just in the Coachella Valley over the next 10 years. And this is one of the most impressive collective impact approaches that not only I, but as being recognized statewide and nationally as an example of how public-private partnerships and with over 50-some-odd community partners are engaged in developing a pipeline of projects, but more importantly, getting over some of the policy problems, addressing the NIMBYism, uh, as well as establishing a catalyst fund to assist with development efforts. It, it really is proving to be a model um, that, that we will ramp up countywide over the next two to four years and hope will serve as a model to the state. You know, it's, um, we also need to look at Joy as not the traditional stick-built type of affordable housing that can sometimes run three, four, five hundred in L.A., seven hundred thousand dollars a door. But how do we look at creative new product types? You know, there's a lot of new technology around manufactured housing, and you know, a lot of people when they hear manufactured housing, they think of mobile homes, and right. that's the furthest thing from this case. There's some really creative ideas, and because to your point, a, a traditional housing project, and you know this because you're in the industry can take four to five years just to get completed by the time you do all the pre-development and financing and, you know, entitlements. And we've really got to look at ways to not only a different product, but decreasing the bureaucracy, streamlining the uh, financing process and, you know, a whole host of uh, processes that we need to look at how, how we streamline this process much faster. Well, you, what, what, what you are answering is why does it take so long and why is it so expensive? You're actually answering that with your last, uh, your last <laughs> answer there. But I will tell you that um, one of the things that our state treasurer, uh, when she was on earlier, was talking about was that very thing that you just mentioned, which is the, um, the, the Coachella Valley-wide lift to rise in where we're hearing from the people who actually do the work who then bring those ways of streamlining what's really needed on the ground level to get these homes out of the ground and how that's influencing state policy. And I thought that was a very great relationship in order to get these things moving on and moving them quickly. I want to get to that part about using alternative methodology and alternative products for housing, because this is a big question that people always have. And I think we're really going back to how do those different types of products, how do those different types of housing get funded? And that's something that we have to make sure that that's, that, that, that that type of product can be financed. So I think there's going to be some work to do with that. I do understand that they're trying something like that right now in San Francisco. Are you aware of that? I, I'm not aware of the specific uh, uh, movements in San Francisco. I, I will give you one example, though, is, you know, we had the uh, original round of Project Home Key, which was the governor's initiative to fund the renovation and rehabilitation of hotel motel programs. And within that first round, though, is there were a couple projects that looked at some of these alternative products. And now that we're in the uh, Project Home Key 2 phase, and applications are already beginning now, 
is, is the governor and the state have made it quite clear that they're looking at how we can utilize those dollars to fund those. But I agree is that while, you know, the home key funds are uh, hopefully not a one-time, but right now at least a one-time allocation of funding is how do we look at through the Department of uh, Housing and Community Development or HCD at the state level to make sure that we're uh, actually allocating within the state budget resources to go to new and innovative product types. So do you, do you think that's among the greatest challenges for affordable housing? I'm sorry, we that again. I'm sorry, Jeff. Do you think that that's among some of the greatest challenges for the affordable housing and the housing crisis at all these levels? That, I, I, that I, do. Of, I mean, obviously, that, obviously, the number one is financing and resources, right. um, but also uh, bureaucracy, red tape. I mean, again, you know that you know a typical housing developer for affordable housing has to go through six to seven to eight types of different funding streams, oh, yeah. which means six six to seven to eight different applications, but how do we streamline that process? Again, the NIMBYism issue, you know, not in my backyard. Um, I, I believe, though, that political will um, is much stronger, at, at least in the Coachella Valley for sure, but even Riverside County-wise and I think statewide, because people are realizing that with the growing homeless population, with uh, the workforce that can't afford to work uh, or live where they work. And, and to your point, too, the younger generation that can't afford the rent coming out of college is the vast majority of society is beginning to realize we've got to figure out a way how to build affordable housing, workforce housing, and you know just attainable housing for everyone. Well, I'm talking to Greg Rodriguez, the policy advisor for Riverside County Supervisor Perez. And I'm hoping you'll stay on with us, Greg, because we've got a lot more to talk about here on Outspoken at Radio 111 with Silver. has a voice and she's not afraid to use it radio 111 presents outspoken with joy silver now here's joy i'm talking to greg rodriguez the policy advisor for riverside county supervisor perez and chair of the county's homeless continuum of care here on outspoken today radio 111 uh, Greg, I really appreciate you coming on today, and I want to continue this conversation because, well, I know, like I said earlier, we could talk forever on all of these issues. Um, I do want to ask you, um, what, how do you see the economy playing a role in this, and what do you think the effect of COVID has had on the efforts of the economy to kind of try to come back? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, you know, no one really can predict what the economy is going to do. And, and we know that the, and I'm actually, I'm an economics major, and we know that economics are cyclical. Um, you know, I, I believe that if we pass the not only bipartisan infrastructure bill, but the Build Back Better plan uh, that President Biden has proposed, that that's going to do a lot to change, 
not only the infusion of capital into the current economy, but really addresses long-term systematic failures of our economy when it comes to income inequality, when it comes to lack of affordable childcare, um, when it comes to education and health care. Um, additionally, though, Joy, as you know, related to COVID is, and as you know, uh, with the healthcare portfolio in my position is I've lived this for 19 months now. And, you know, some actual good things, believe it or not, came out of COVID, some direct infusions of cash for homelessness and housing, right. um, for childcare and nonprofits. And I think it's really showed people what our priorities should be. And even though we have to borrow this money and, you know, again, how do we systematically change our budgetary system, both at the federal and state governments, to make sure that we're elevating people up, not giving people handouts. And most people that need it don't want a handout. They just need a level playing field. And so I believe that the economy is going to play a huge role, and especially within the affordable housing sector, is that we cannot have productive workforce members or productive teachers, or productive firefighters that can't afford to live in the communities that they serve in. We cannot have youth being able to focus on their school, especially those in high school, that have to worry about their parents losing their job and have to stay home and take care of children when their parents have to go out and work two or three jobs just to make ends meet. So it is a vital component. I believe, I knock on wood, that we're on the right trajectory. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's slim margins at the federal level, but you see national polling in every sector of the public, whether it's Democrat, Republican, or Independent, that support the fundamental um, ideas behind the Build Back Better plan. And so I think we are on the cusp now, Joy, of really changing the dialogue more than we have been in decades. I think that's true. And I think the alignment with certainly our own governor for California, he had quite an aggressive, he and has quite an aggressive plan to bring every every county in the state in alignment with a plan for both um, affordable housing and certainly for uh, help and to alleviate the homeless situation. I wanted to read the stats on the states for homelessness, and these numbers are just the straight-out numbers of people without homes, not necessarily proportionate to the population, but number one on the list is California. And what I noticed with that number at 151,000-plus is that 25% were, were uh, vet, are veterans and young people. Uh, New York State second, Florida third, Texas fourth, and Washington fifth. I'm not going to continue to go on that, but I do know that um, without conflating homelessness and housing for working families, uh, what do you think some of the issues are for people without homes? And I think you're talking about a navigation center that I would love our audience to hear about. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I'll start with the caveat that that 150,000 is probably more like 300,000. When yeah. we do our point in time counts, we usually, you know, estimate it to double that. Um, you know, I, I, I will say that um, I believe Riverside County, I'm going to be a little uh, biased here, um, has really set a path forward on uh, recognizing that when we're going to deal with homelessness, and this is not just chronic homelessness, but our veterans, um, you know, our youth, our seniors, um, is we really have to look at a holistic continuum of care approach. So making sure that uh, individuals have access not only to a home by utilizing the housing first model, 
but also uh, access to behavioral health services, substance use services, workforce development, um, access to the benefits that, 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 they, that they are entitled to. And, and again, it's not just putting someone in a shelter or putting someone in, a, in an apartment and then ignoring them. Right. We have to have intensive case management. We need to follow these individuals, not just for six months, nine months, but a year, two years, three years down the road. And, you know, again, we are developing really, really good models in this county to do that, and especially in the Coachella Valley. Um, I am excited. Um, on Thursday um, at the Palm Springs City Council meeting, we will be um, unveiling uh, our move at the county and citywide effort uh, to uh, present a new navigation center that will have an element of uh, shelter beds, wraparound services, and uh, crisis stabilization, transitional housing, and permanent housing. So, okay, congratulations! Congratulations for that. We're also looking forward to Thursday when groundbreaking starts for Palm Springs affordable housing community. Yes. And thank you so much, Greg, for spending your time with us today. Our next show will be about voter suppression and how the extremists are destroying democracy. This is Joy Silver on Radio 111, Outspoken.